Where do you turn when one of your greatest treasures is destroyed? What do you hope in when the thing you hoped would bring you incredible joy has become the source of greatest pain? What do you do when something that was supposed to be beautiful turns to ashes? Hey, this is Nate with Purity for Life, the official podcast of Pure Life Ministries. For over 35 years, we've come alongside couples whose marriages and hearts have been devastated by sexual sin. We've heard the horror stories of lives destroyed by immorality, the gut-wrenching stories of betrayal and unfaithfulness. We've spoken the truth in love to husbands. We've offered compassion with truth to the wives. Maybe your marriage has been reduced to a pile of ashes, and you're wondering if God can bring anything good from your situation. Or maybe God has already begun a good work, but you've both got a long way to go. Either way, please plan on sticking with us for the next eight episodes. I'll be talking to four different couples whose marriages were horribly damaged by sexual sin, but who were willing to walk God's pathway of restoration. They'll share about their struggles, their victories, but most importantly, they'll talk about the God who came close in their greatest need and who proved that he is truly able to transform marriages from ashes to beauty. That's what's coming up. Here we go. All right, so I have Pastor Jeff and Rose Cologne in, we, in with me for the first episode in our series, From Ashes to Beauty. Thank you guys for coming in. Thanks, Thank you Nate. For it's good to us. be here. Yeah, so for those who um, don't know you, you guys worked for Pure Life for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, Pastor Jeff, you were in a ton of different roles <laughs> in your time mm -hmm. in the ministry. Uh, Rose, you spent a lot of time counseling mm -hmm. the wives in our wives program. And then you went on a few years ago to found the Lighthouse Biblical Counseling Center and Lighthouse on the Rock Fellowship. So, um, Jeff, you wrote a book called From Ashes to Beauty, and so that's the foundation for this whole series. Um, and before we get into why you wrote the book and the purpose of it, I wanted to give people a chance to get to know you both a little sure. bit through mm -hmm. sharing your testimony. So can you just share a little bit of your story, both of you? Sure. Um, obviously, it'll be in the book somewhat. Yeah. But basically, um, for myself, started doing drugs pretty early on in my life as an adolescent, carried over to my teenage years. Then with that comes the sexual sin. I was pretty much involved in a, a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I was about 19, 20 years old, my sister uh, basically led me to the Lord, supposedly gave my life to Christ. I don't think I really knew what it meant at the time. I knew I needed help, and I believed in God. So at that time, I, I made a profession of faith. And so I guess the way I can say it is for about six years, I was in church, but I was basically the same guy still struggling with drug addiction, still struggling with pornography, and even uh, visiting prostitutes. 
So I got it in my head that I needed to just find a nice Christian wife, that that would solve my problem. Um, and that's around when I met Rose. I was probably about 26 when we met and uh, really did believe that this was the answer to my problem. Um, she did not know really my prior struggles as far as she knew. I was a Christian guy, I went to church. I invited her to my church, actually our second date. Mm -hmm. And she really took off and went deeper with the Lord. And I kind of thought, well, uh, this wasn't supposed to happen because I was comfortable to have God as part of my life, but not all of my life. That was really my testimony. I believe that's why I really didn't find victory and I didn't really know the Lord. I think it was just a faith by prayer and join church and learn how to do the Christian thing. But inside, I was still the same guy. So after we got married, I was disappeared. And long story short, it all came out for her that I had this whole other life going on, using drugs. Then eventually it came out visiting prostitutes. So I had been through that. I wound up going through two programs in New York for drug addiction, got out, went back to the same thing. For me, I think I just learned more about the Bible. I learned more how to pray. You know, I memorized scripture. And I think in my mind, I really thought, oh, when I get out, that's it, I'm done. But obviously something didn't happen that needed to happen. And I just went back to my sin. And then eventually, that's how I wound up in Kentucky. I got church disciplined by my pastor, which I'm very thankful for. Mm -hmm. uh, she finally drew a line and was like, I'm going after God. If this is how you want to live, it's not going to be in this home. She wasn't threatening divorce at that time, but she did draw a line, and my church drew a line. And so I wound up here at Pure Life, and really that's where I really think for the first time had time to get in the Word of God for myself, was in meetings where I was hearing truth and the narrow way. And, and I, all I could say is more and more I started realizing I'm not what the Bible says a Christian should be. I, I like knew it. And the, the verse in Matthew where it says you cannot have two masters is really the verse God used and showed me I had two masters. I wanted the world and I want a God, and that's where I never found victory in my life. So through a series of things, God just made himself real to me, and I found repentance and totally surrendered my life to God, and he did what I thought was impossible, totally delivered me from uh, all the stuff that I was bound for all of my life. But when I called her and asked her to join, we felt called here. That's how our journey started with Pure Life. I realized my marriage had suffered horribly from my sin, and we got back together. Even though I repented and my life was getting right with the Lord, when we got back together, we realized we're a mess. I don't even know where to start. And we'll talk about it later, obviously, and that's kind of where the book came out. And uh, all I can say is, God's been very good to us, and he's been uh, done more than I ever could have imagined. Mm. And I'm very thankful 
for his intervention in my life. So I guess I'll let her share yeah, a little yeah, bit of her ahead. side of it. Yeah, well, when everything finally came into the light, I just struggled like most of the women struggle that I've counseled over the years, wondering what's wrong with me. I didn't expect this, you know, when I got yeah, yeah, married. Yeah, this is what I signed up Especially for. Especially the world, I mean, portrays now with the Christian romance that it, everything's going to be happily ever after and no problems. Everything's going to be great, wonderful. So it was a real wake-up call for me mm. when all this was going on. And I remember feeling so alone. And at that time, there was someone at work that didn't know anything that I was going through, but she gave me a scripture and sent it to me. And it was I want to read it it's from Isaiah 54, verses 4 through 6, where it says, Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced. For you will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth, for the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. And this woman knew nothing about what I was going through in my marriage, but yet it was like the Lord just telling me, I see what you're going through. I'm very aware of just what's happening in your marriage, but I want you to realize that I'm your husband. So it was a wake-up call for me to see, okay, I was putting my hope, my identity, everything that I wanted when I got married in my husband. And the Lord was telling me early on, this is not about your marriage. This is about your relationship with me. And I want to reveal myself to you in a deeper way, in a more intimate way than you've known me. And I needed that. I didn't realize because I had a surface relationship with the Lord where, yeah, I was going to church, I was in the Word, but I was living my life for this world, for my career. So it was really a wake-up call for me to look at, what am I really living for? So as the Lord brought separation between us with Him going through different programs, I was really able to get my focus where it needed to be by examining my heart to see where am I in the faith and in my relationship with the Lord and to put my husband kind of on the altar, just let God deal with him and his walk with the Lord. But I needed to look at my own walk with the Lord. So that's how he was using my husband's sin to draw my heart into an intimate relationship. Everything that a husband is to be to his wife, Jesus was that to me especially during those times when we were separated and he was going through different programs. Jesus was revealing himself to me in many different ways. So that time became very precious to me. What I thought was a curse in the beginning became a blessing because I realized God was using it for good in my life mm. to grow me in a lot of ways that I needed to grow up. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so... You guys both are kind of on your own separate journeys to go deeper with the Lord. You're mm -hmm. coming at that process from very different places spiritually. Mm -hmm. right. And then you come together mm -hmm. and the foundation has been laid, right? But there's mm -hmm. still 
a ton of work to do, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. there was. Because yeah. I had my expectations of what I believe marriage should be. He had his. Uh-huh. And the Lord in the beginning, I felt like he took a sledgehammer. <laughs> he mm. was breaking up the foundation mm. of what we both believed and brought into the marriage so that he can build a foundation that's based on our relationship with him and the word of God. Yeah, so this book then is a lot of personal testimony, but then there's also just a lot of biblical teaching about how a marriage can be restored, how it, what God uses to restore a marriage. Right. And um, I did a quick search on Amazon and mm. for marriage books. You know, I was like, wow, there are thousands <laughs> of books about marriage. There's books about God's design for marriage. There's books about how to effectively communicate. Mm. There's books about here's some activities that you guys can do together because mm. you're so busy and you at least need to connect every once in a while. Right. Uh, so there's thousands of books with all these different purposes, all these different goals. What motivated you to write the book you did, and what was, what's the purpose? Okay. It was a growing burden. Obviously, doing counseling with couples that experience the same thing we did. Um, and I think for me, seeing the devastation, seeing divorce many times occur. I'll never forget uh, a family leaving the property one time and the kids crying out the back window as they're leaving the property, you know, and just seeing families torn apart. But then with that knowing, but God, you're so much greater than that. And if we're both Christian, I don't care what's happened. There's nothing too hard I know what you did in my marriage. I know what you did in my life. You're still the God of the Bible. And so I just had this growing burden that God is the God of the impossible and that divorce does not have to be an option. God hates divorce. And so the more I thought about it, I kind of was thinking the same thing, like, man, there's so many marriage books out there. And all I could say is, the whole theme of the book just dropped in my heart. And it was basically like the Lord said, Jeff, what did I do in your life? How did you find victory? What finally changed you? And the whole idea of the Beatitudes came into my mind. And I knew that was supposed to be the theme. And really the Beatitudes, and I talk about that in the first chapter, lay out that whole process. And I know Steve talks about it, Steve Gallagher, I believe in sexual idolatry. Mm. He has a, a little part in there where he talks about we see the whole transformation process in those truths. And so I knew, like, this is the answer. This is what happened in our lives individually. We came to an end of ourselves, poverty of spirit. We found true repentance and mourning over our own sin. We finally surrendered everything to God. Then we started learning how to give out the same mercy God has given to us. Then we asked for that cleansing and allowed him into our lives to purify us and change us. And then we came into that peace and rest, freedom that the gospel promises. And I'm like, that's the gospel. That's what God does. That's a hope or answer we have that the world doesn't have. And so, again, in counseling, what you see is 
couples come in and a lot of times they're looking through the lens of the world or opinions or just worldly mindsets, philosophies. But if we're looking through the lens of scripture, everything changes and we start to see this is not just about my marriage and what's the role of a husband and the role of a woman, all the things we typically think of, God wants to do something much deeper and there's a much bigger purpose. And so that was the burden. And really, I just wanted people to know, like, it doesn't have to end this way. God can do above and beyond what you can think or imagine. And so really, that was how it was birthed in my heart. And I wanted to give people a pathway into the narrow way and into the, the message of the cross, because I knew that's the answer. And so that was the whole idea of the book, was to lead both spouses mm -hmm. to the foot of the cross and let the gospel do its work in them and then in their marriage. Yeah, well, what's striking me too, as you're talking about it, is that some of these other topics, God's design for marriage, roles, mm -hmm. effective communication, all of that is good, mm -hmm. but none of that is going to solve the real problem right. if they aren't going down that pathway. Like we sometimes want to focus on other issues. Oh, we need better communication, or we need this, right. or we need that. Right. But unless both people are going down the path of the cross, there, there's not going to be any effective communication. Or truly right. converted. Right. Yeah. And that's a question we have to face, especially nowadays, that we face many times mm -hmm. in our counseling office. Just because someone says they're a Christian and come in for marital problems, a lot of the time I'm evangelizing because I realize if this person isn't truly saved, that they don't live in the reality of how much they've been forgiven and what Jesus mm -hmm. has actually done for them, what's going to motivate them to do the words of Christ mm -hmm. towards mm -hmm. their spouse in their marriage. So I can maybe give them some nice techniques and maybe solve some issues in their marriage. So, But what good is that if in the end they stand before God and he says, I never knew you? Right. Mm. Okay, so then I think we do have to probably talk about God's goal for marriage. Mm -hmm. If the process is poverty of spirit, mourning, meekness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, mm -hmm. um, purity in heart, like this, these are the steps down the pathway. Right. What's, the, what's the goal? Where is all that supposed to lead in terms of the marriage? Well, the gospel's goal is being conformed into the image of Christ. So the goal is both spouses being transformed into the image of Christ. And then in Ephesians 5, we see marriage also represented in Christ's relationship with the church. And he says, this is a great mystery. And I talk about that in the book where really our marriage should represent to the world Christ's love for the church and Christ's relationship with the church. It's all about that relationship, that greater relationship our marriage represents. Hmm. Yeah, and it has to happen for both the husband and the wife, just at the foot of the cross. Because at the foot of the cross, you're both coming helpless, saying, I don't have what it takes to fix this. This is way beyond me. 
I need divine supernatural intervention. And when you're both humble like that, we usually tell couples that when you're willing to humble yourself before the Lord in that way, His grace is there to pick you up and start transforming you and making all things new in your marriage, which is possible. But if you have one person kicking and screaming, it's not going to work because we've seen that over and over again. If if both spouses stay stuck pointing the finger at each other, they're not going to receive what God wants to give to them and what God wants to do in their hearts individually that will affect the marriage. There's a quote, and it is from the book from Martin Lloyd-Jones, where he says, look at him, and the more we look at him, referring to Jesus, the more hopeless shall we feel about ourselves and in and of ourselves, and the more we shall become poor in spirit. If we look at him and keep looking at him, you cannot truly look at him without feeling your absolute poverty and emptiness. And then you say to him, nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to thy cross I cling. And if both spouses are doing that, then God can bring resurrection power into that marriage and make, I mean, just transform it. We've seen it so many times when we were here, when both spouses were willing to do that and at the counseling center. But again, if there's one person kicking and screaming, they stay stuck. You know, they stay yeah. stuck. And is it often the case that the reason couples get stuck is because their goal for their marriage is very different than yeah. they well, have yeah. their own expectations of I deserve this or you need to meet my needs or fill my love tank. It could be uh, so many different reasons. We've seen it. Well, there's a question in the study guide for chapter one. So it's one of the first things is we want to see when we're counseling a couple and we're using the book, what are their expectations? What were their expectations? So we had them write out, what were your expectations? And then we simply asked them, can you biblically support those expectations? Mm -hmm. And then are you willing to surrender those expectations if they're not biblical? Mm. And so then if they're saying, yeah, we want to surrender it, we want what God wants, then that's where the marriage restoration covenant comes in that's in the appendix for the first chapter, where they're agreeing, we're going to do this God's way. We're going to do it according to the Word of God. It's not about what we want. It's not about our expectations. It's not about opinions. Well, this is how my parents did it. Because we all come into marriage Mm -hmm. with our own ideas, but we have to get God's thoughts and God's ways. So that's what we want to help a couple do, is see everything through the lens of Scripture and how God sees it, mm. and what he's expecting, and what what's his goal. Yeah. And when we can agree on that, then he's able to do, again, what we thought was impossible, and it's better than what we wanted. Yeah, I think that's where the, the trust comes in, sure. trusting that what the Lord has for us is actually better than what we have planned for ourselves. Right. Yeah. You know? Right. Because it's like, man, when you've when you've gone after everything that you wanted and then your life is just demolished. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how even in that, people don't really like we don't always get the message. Oh, I did this. I did this. Yeah. <laughs> and if I had been following the Lord, it wouldn't be 
like this. Right. Really fine. God him. really does have something so much better. Yeah. In store for us. Yeah. So there's two things that you, two practical things that you really stressed in in the book, um, and you touched on one, the marriage covenant. But I want to talk about those two things, like when you're counseling people in the restoration process, it's it's like one of the first things, right, that you counsel them to go through kind of a formal covenant of a number of different things and have their spiritual authority sign mm-hmm. as witness. That yeah, either done this. their pastor, if they don't go to our church, or a lot of times they, they want us to sign it because yeah. we're counseling them. And then I tell them, and then I want you to hang it somewhere okay. in the house, maybe on the refrigerator. To remind you that this is about God's way, not our way, and that we're going to let everything that has happened and that is happening now to change us and for God to use in our lives to produce what He wants to produce in us. Yeah, so like what's an example of one of the things that they would covenant to? All right, I'll, uh, I have it here. If you, if you don't mind, I'll yeah, just go, for it. go through it. So we covenant to build our marriage on the principle of Scripture alone. We covenant to allow God to work in our hearts, to dissect us, to show us our sin, to convict us, to change us, to teach us, to lead us into the truth. Uh, We covenant to practice self-denial, to consider the other more important, to persevere through difficulty, disagreement, fatigue, illness, any other circumstance that God has allowed into our lives, that's so important. Understand that everything gets filtered Mm -hmm. through God's hand. He's sovereign Mm -hmm. or he's not, and Romans 8, 28 is true or it isn't, that if we love him, all things, that means the good, the bad, and the ugly, work together Mm -hmm. for his purpose in our lives. That's so important for couples to understand. We, We ask them to reaffirm their original marriage vows, to put off unforgiveness, any bitterness, resentment, irresponsibility, vengeance, anything that's contrary to the Word of God, and to put on the fruits of the Spirit and to walk in repentance towards one another. Yeah, so obviously just signing a piece of paper doesn't solve everything. No. But it puts them, like, this is the decision we've made. We are committed to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. But yeah. that's where you see, too, it takes both parties to do that, to receive God's blessing on your marriage. Yeah, so this is not the husband has all the responsibility. No. And no, it's both. And really, it's you're both. committing yeah. to God yeah. more than one another. At the end of the day, if you're truly born again and you really have a sight of what Jesus has done for you personally at the cross, you're going to throw up the white flag. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Because the whole message of the cross is reconciliation and forgiveness. So, again, if, if we have someone in the marriage, whether it's the husband or wife, unwilling to do that, then we have to see have they really been to the cross for themselves. But individuals, couples that do put this into practice, we have seen God bless their marriages and transform them for his glory. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah, what's, so you also um, stressed just biblical communication mm-hmm. as they're going through this 
process. Correct. Um, why is that so important? What's, what happens if they don't communicate biblically? Just throw that up, sure. that question yeah. out there. So one, another assignment in the book, it's actually in a later chapter, but when we're counseling a couple, we assign it immediately because we realize most of the time they're not having godly communication Sometimes it's yelling or accusations. A lot of finger pointing. A lot, lot yeah, of finger pointing. Mm -hmm. So uh, we give them a conference table, which kind of lays out scripturally out of Ephesians how we're to communicate with one another. And there's rules, and you know, <laughs> we we right. encourage them never try to communicate in the midst of something that's going on. Wait, go pray, get your hearts right have a place in the house where you know when we sit there, we're going to communicate, mm. have a Bible on the table, mm. learn to use scripture mm -hmm. to find out what the real problem is, avoid finger pointing, and keep a record and come up with a plan mm. on how to deal with the problem biblically. Wow. So again, our goal is we know we've accomplished what God's called us to do when they can counsel themselves when we're done. Okay. And so the conference table helps them communicate on a deeper level and also bring the scripture into their problems, into the issues that come up so they can talk about it and use scripture mm -hmm. to lead and guide them to the solution. Mm -hmm. Instead of, well, this is what I think. Well, this is my opinion. Okay, <laughs> right. what's going on here? What's the mm -hmm. real problem? What does the word of God say? What do we need to do here? You know, and sometimes it's deep repentance, it's bearing our hearts to one another, and that's when you're communicating on a deeper level. And that's what's necessary mm -hmm. in a marriage. That's what we see so much lacking in most of the couples. There's a surfacey communication, there's never a deep communication going on. So with the conference table, we also have them do the homework separately. And we, we tell them, this is about you, this is what God wants to show you. But then when you're done with the homework, we want you to come together and we want you to share with one another, what did God show you? Not, well, oh yeah, I hope you really saw what it said in there, but what did God show you? And bearing your hearts to one another wow. on how God's dealing with you, what he's showing you. And you're gonna learn, especially the husbands, who typically are like, well, how are you, honey? I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, what does that mean? And just learn, especially a guy that's been in sin, that's hidden, like, she didn't know me. Mm -hmm. I lived this double life. She didn't know who I was. So it's learning how to open up those places mm -hmm. to your spouse that you normally wouldn't. And so the book helps you do that when you got to share, mm -hmm. well, this is what's going on. This is what God's showing me mm. in my heart. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So what happens if they don't if they learn don't to communicate? Well, then they get into the shell where they're pulling more further, 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 further apart. And how can a marriage survive like that mm. without communicating or without knowing your spouse? I mean, that to know the Lord is a word called yada, to know. It's an intimate knowledge of the Lord. That's how the Lord wants us to know Him. But it's the same word that's used with intimacy and marriage. So if you're not communicating, you don't have intimacy 
It's forget about the physical. I'm talking about speaking intimacy. You know what I mean? Just yeah, yeah. spiritual intimacy. Talking about how God's dealing yeah, yeah, with yeah. you or the things he's showing you or what you need prayer for. So, you know, if a couple's not doing that, they're just going to keep building walls and and that's the enemy's happy with that. Yeah. You know, because the house divided will not stand. So the next number of sessions, the next number of episodes are going to talk about spiritual qualities that both people Mm -hmm. need to cultivate Mm -hmm. in their own hearts. And Mm -hmm. once those qualities are cultivated, it's going to bring them together. Exactly. But what you're saying is that when you're talking about restoring a marriage, it's not like this book or this video series is just going to fix it. Oh, no. It's just like a, here's a no. magic pill that you can both I'll take tell you and... what I tell every couple and any kind of counseling. We have an arrow with you. Mm-hmm. We're pointing you in the right direction. What you do when you go home is going to make all the difference. You are going to have to make time. You are going to have to prayerfully get over the Word of God, get get over what you're reading, and spend time letting the Holy Spirit reveal things to you. You're going to have to make time to come together as a couple. If you don't do that, this is not going to work. Mm-hmm. We, we cannot drink for you. Right. We can just lead you. And it's sad. Um, we see so many couples and the family's falling apart. They got kids and, and they're just too busy. They, they don't take the time to really um, put the time in that's needed to, yeah. to get at the feet of Jesus, to learn how to hear from the Holy Spirit and to let God's word reveal things that they need to see. So that is vital. And early on, I mean, that's the first thing we tell them. And we tell them, this is not going to work if you don't seek God, if you don't go after God and make time to do this. This will not work. Yeah. So I can almost hear maybe somebody going, okay, I I get it. <laughs> you know, this is going to take time. This is going to take work. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I can accept maybe that I have to grow and he has mm-hmm. to grow or vice versa, however that works. Mm-hmm. But when you are just devastated, mm-hmm. when everything is in shambles, mm-hmm. I know in my own life, sometimes the biggest thing is like, how am I going to have the strength yeah. mm-hmm. to do this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't have the strength. I don't have the courage. Mm-hmm. I don't have the energy. Where am I going to find what I need to to go through this process. Yeah, well, that's why the first beatitude is poverty of spirit, because we come to that place where we're desperate. We're so desperate, and it's like, God, I have nothing. I feel so empty inside. I don't even want to do this. You know, getting brutally honest before the Lord, it's okay. David did in the Psalms how many times get honest about the feelings and the wrestlings that were going on inside in the Psalms. But crying out to the Lord until he gives you what you need. I mean, that's that's key. Are we that desperate to cry out to the Lord till he meets us in that place of desperation? Mm. He does. I mean, he does. But that's poverty of spirit, realizing that unless you intervene. This is impossible. I'm done. 
Yeah. I don't even see the reason to do this. You know what I mean? I was there so many times that it was like, why should I do this? Why should I keep putting myself through this? But I knew, God, if you don't intervene in my heart, do something in me, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, why bother living? I mean, you even get to that place that you don't even want to live anymore. To die is better. You know, in, in your mind, you think that way. And it's like the Lord's like, man, just trust me. Trust me. I'll give you what you need. And that's why that scripture meant so much to me in Isaiah 54 that I read early on, because the Lord was making it so real to me. I have called you. You're mine. I see you've been forsaken. You've been rejected. But get your eyes on me. Mm. And if you get your eyes on me, I can make all things new to the point where you'll forget the shame of your youth. It'll be like it never happened. And I can sit here and say, God has done that. But I had to come to that place of total desperation that I knew, God, I can't. This is not going to work. This is not going to work. I can't do this. Mm. But he met me there. Yeah. You know, he met me there. Yeah, the, the key always is fixing your eyes on Jesus, mm-hmm. lest you grow weary. Yeah. Mm. He's the author. He's the finisher of our faith. Paul pleaded with God about a thorn mm. in his flesh. Did God take the thorn away? No. And we don't really know what that was, but we do know God promised him, Paul, my grace is sufficient. Paul, my strength is perfected in your weakness. And there's something special. Even though it's hard, we don't like it, and you do feel like, I can't even take another breath. Mm -hmm. But it's in that moment when we cry out to God, when somehow we hold on to his promise and we, we choose to fix our eyes on him, all of a sudden there's something there and we can't explain it a peace that surpasses all understanding, a strength that somehow we get through the day. And, and I try to tell people, like, take it a day at a time. Don't, don't even think about tomorrow. Jesus said, there's enough going on right now. You need grace for right now. And that's why I shared in the book the whole idea of Nehemiah. Like, what did he feel like when he goes back and he sees the devastation. I mean, he was undone. And it was all because of sin, because they rebelled. And that's what happens. It's just nothing but rubble, and they're still smoldering. And he's there, and he's just broken over it. And he begins to just pour his heart out. And he basically holds on to God, because God told him, you're going to rebuild it. I'm going to, this is my plan. I've chosen you to rebuild and restore the walls of Jerusalem, well, he had to believe that. And so through prayer and and getting his eyes on the Lord, he picked himself up. Somehow God, I believe, gave him the wherewithal to do that. And he simply, day by day, just did what God told him to do. And we know the end of that story. It gets done. There's a lot of opposition. There's a lot of stuff that goes on. But in the end, everyone looks at it. And they go, that was God. God did that. Mm. And see, God gets the glory. 
If it's us doing it, he don't get the glory. But because we're weak, because we're helpless, but yet he works through us, he does the impossible when we believe him, he gets glory. And then he does what we thought was impossible. Yeah. And, and people need to know this, especially now with what's going on in the world and so many just situations we see. People are so hopeless. They need to know, listen, I've been there. I know what it feels like to feel like, like my wife said, I don't even want to live. I don't see. No, it's all dark when I look. But yet somehow I clung to Jesus. I clung to this verse. I clung to him. And somehow there was a glimmer of light and he gave me the grace to keep going. And I promise you, he will do that. It's my testimony. I've seen him do it in countless lives. And God's either truthful or he's a liar. Well, my God's faithful. He's not a liar. He does what he says. He just wants us to believe him and to look to him. And that's the key. What I heard Jeff and Rose saying in this episode is that God is always, always, always willing to restore marriages, and he is more than able to bring beauty from ashes. But there's something that needs to happen in both the husband and the wife before they start trying to fix the marriage. It's like God is saying, I know that you want your marriage restored, and I want that too, but I have a much, much greater goal in mind. Are you willing to allow your marriage, as difficult as it is, to be an instrument in my hands to make you more holy, more sanctified, more like Jesus? It's like God is saying, are you willing to be humbled before me? to take your rightful place in my sight, to allow me to be God? Are you willing to trust me with your life and your future in a real way? We are praying that you will be willing and that you will have the grace to walk his path to restoration. We'll be back next week with the second episode in this series, but If you'd like to grab a copy of Jeff's book to read while we're going through, it's available in our bookstore. Just go to store.purelifeministries.org and look for From Ashes to Beauty. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.